right, what's going on, everybody? Aren't you glad to be at church today, man? I'm glad you're here. Uh, kicking off week one of Life on Purpose. I love every year uh, around the month of May, we, we do a series similar to this. Just to, here's the purpose behind it. It's always good to realign ourselves with God's purpose and call for our life. It's real easy. I don't know about y'all, but um, maybe you're not this way. But it's real easy to just kind of gravitate toward Humanity does this, just gravitates toward just kind of mediocrity, the same old, same old. If you've been here uh, 10 minutes or 10 years, you know that we, you've probably seen it somewhere. It's, if you haven't seen it, it's plastered big on the wall right outside. Discover what it means to live your life on purpose. Life on purpose. Why do we say that? Why, do we, uh, why is that such a big deal around here? Well, because we know, it's one of the reasons we planted the church, we know that most people are just kind of navigating through life. And by navigating, you're just surviving. They're just kind of treading water. We go to work every day. We go home every day. We go to bed every night, and we wake up just to do it all over again. And the truth is, there's not a lot of purpose behind what many of us do. We kind of get into what what culture calls the rat race of life. And we know that there's more to life than this. If you're breathing today, there's a purpose on your life. If you've got your notes, go ahead and pull those out. There's a passage of Scripture in John chapter 4. It's one of the most famous passages of Scripture. As a matter of fact, it is the longest recorded conversation in the Bible between Jesus and anyone else. Now, that's significant because you would think there's lots of, there's, you know, there's lots of disciples. There's even a disciple in the Bible who declared himself the one that Jesus loved. He said it himself, right? Uh, John did. I always thought that was kind of funny, right? He, he labeled it uh, the one that he loved. He's like, I, he loved me the most. Like, but of all of the people that could have been recorded all of their conversations, this is the longest recorded conversation in Scripture. And it's with a woman who, through her own decisions of life, um, became an outcast in her own community. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. She, the Bible says that she would go and draw water at a well at the sixth hour every day, meaning it was a moment in which no one else was there. This was in a community in which this was a communal thing. Women would go to the well early in the morning, and they would help each other carry the heavy water back every day. And this woman would go to a well, potentially with other outcasts. We know particularly this day she was the only one there between her and Jesus. And she was reminded every single day of the decisions that she had made and the shame that she should carry because of the outcasted because of the people that would have outcasted her over the course of her life. And Jesus has this conversation and he communicates something powerful with her. In John chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again talking about the well. And then he says, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. And that's our hope for people across Shelby County and anybody that God would allow us to reach with this church is that they would understand Jesus and the power of his resurrection, that they would know who Jesus is and that the water that he gives is far different than the water we've been attempting to get most of our lives. And so once a year, we sit down and we start writing out ideas, messages uh, from God's word that will align us back to his purpose and plan for our life. And so that's the hope beyond just talking, right? Just beyond going through the motions. What are we going to do? It's aligning us. You know, most of the New Testament is Paul aligning the church back to his purpose and vision. You know that? Like if you read most of the New Testament, Paul's like, guys, I was just there last week. (laughs) Like, what the heck? 
what am I hearing? Anybody ever done that with your kids? Like you feel like as a parent, like you, you adequately and with excellence communicated what you wanted your kids to do in that moment. And then you come back in like three hours and nothing is getting done. And you're like, what the heck, right? Like uh, we, in my family, we used to call these come to Jesus moments, right? Like we're, like we're gonna be clear this moment. Maybe I wasn't clear a while ago. We're gonna be clear today, right? Uh, and so this is a, a moment, a month in which we get to align ourselves, have a come to Jesus and realign ourselves with a purpose and mission of God's purpose and plan for our life as a church. Did you know this, that uh, statistics have shown that churches have a life cycle. All throughout history, churches have a life cycle. Like most organizations and things, they, there's a life cycle to it. And, and experts have actually laid it out. And this is what it looks like. If you want to light it, write it down, it's the first step or the first phase is the launch phase. You've, many of you were a part of that here at Cultivator. Uh, 11 years ago, we launched a brand new church. I spoke at a church this past Wednesday night in Georgia that's 120 plus years old. Like it's, uh, There's different phases, right? They were launched that long ago. And then it goes goes into alignment, meaning this, we're, we're launching and we're aligning ourselves to God's call on our lives. One of the things we love about Cultivate and that we love to communicate here is that we're not the church, we're a part of the church. There's lots of different communities, faith families in our community and in Shelby County that together, collectively, we accomplish God's purpose and plan for the church. We're a part of the church and our little part has a part to play, right? Like there's an alignment, there's a call on our church. And then comes, in most churches and organizations comes multiplication. It begins to grow and it begins to get healthy and, and then across every organization, across every local church, they begin to see a plateau. And then once plateau hits, if, there, if something doesn't change, they become stagnant. They just become the same old, same old, treading water. It's what many people become in their own personal lives. And after stagnation comes decline. Now, what, what's, there, there's something cool, like that kind of sounds kind of morbid, right? Oh, man, we're just going to get old and die. It's just how it's going to work, right? Well, there's a, there's a thing in organizations that can happen, and if, if it's what happened to the church that I spoke at this past week, 120 years old. Across the years, I'm sure there have been seasons of alignment and growth and plateau and stagnation, but somewhere along the line, if you begin to recognize where you are, you can come back and realign yourself to what God's purpose and plan is. And in every organization, if they can ever get to the point where they recognize the plateau and they can begin to realign themselves, it all of a sudden begins to spark new life again. And then they, they go from plateau to alignment, back into multiplication and growth, back into the call and purpose and plan for God in their life. And that's why we can do this every year. We want to align ourselves back to the purpose and plan of God. And for us at Cultivate Church, it will always be, we, call, we say we keep the main thing, the main thing. We will always focus on taking as many people to heaven as we can possibly take. That's the hope of the local church. That's the hope of what God would ever do with us. This year alone, we've seen 92 people give their heart to Jesus here at Cultivate Church. Almost almost 2,000 over the course of the 11 years. And can I tell you something? That's awesome. That's really good news. Lots of people, many of you here today, God has changed your life radically through the ministry of this church. But we also, we, we, we go beyond ourselves. We partner with uh, organizations around the world to help plant churches. Over the course of the 11 years that we've been a church, we've planted, we've helped plant 812 churches since 2012 around the world. Now, why is that significant? Why does that 
that matter that we think outside of ourselves? Because we've seen almost 200, uh, 2,000 people give their heart to the Lord. But in these 812 churches, just on first day alone, our first day was January 8, 2012. We had 199 people. We had people give their heart to the Lord that day. And on the first day across all of these 812 churches, listen, y'all, over 12,000 people have said yes to Jesus in throughout these churches. So what does that say? What we're a part of is bigger than the role that we play, right? It's important that we always think outside of just ourselves. And can I tell you, that's important for you and your family as well. If all you ever think about is you and your family and your circumstance and your retirement and your career and your life and your vacations and your all the stuff, if all I think about is me, just like any other organization, I will implode into mediocrity. And God is calling us to be more than that because we believe the church isn't a location. It's not a logo. It's a people, y'all. We are the church and we exist for the world. So may cultivate always be a place that focuses, that aligns ourselves with the call of God on our life to see people that are far from God know who he is on a very personal level. We call it the unknowing. We really do believe this. I believe this because I've met Jesus personally. He's radically changed my life. And I think it's just the reason some people are far from God is because they just don't know him yet. Like they just haven't experienced him like I've experienced him. I believe this with every fiber that's in me. If you would ever experience Jesus, the real Jesus that I've experienced in my life, no way that you would ever actually walk away from that reality, all right? And so today, we're going to align ourselves by realigning ourselves to, to, the, to the call of God by discovering what our passions are. What is passion? Anybody know? Here's a good definition for you. It's, it's a strong, barely controllable emotion. I love that. It's a strong definition for a strong word. And, and here's what I know, that people are passionate about all kinds of things. Culture, passionate about all kinds of things. And if I believe as a church, if we could harness the passions that God's placed inside of us, that it could make all the difference, all right? So however, uh, whatever you're doing, make sure you take notes today. Come on, I'm going to say some things. You remember 80% of the things you write down. You're going to remember, uh, if, if you don't write some things down, you're just going to remember all the dumb stuff I say, okay? So like write down the good stuff, all right? Tuning in online, wherever you're from, come on, take some notes and let's dive in together. Let's pray and then we'll see what God's word has for us. Father, we love you. Man, we're grateful for your word. It's alive and breathing and for us. Oh, God, I know that you didn't leave us here on an island alone to try to figure this thing out by ourselves, but you provided us your living word. It's alive and breathing. It corrects us. It shapes us. It molds us. It inspires us. It convicts us. And ultimately, we know it equips us for every good work. And today, I pray that we walk out of this place equipped to do what you've called us to do in this place, in this county, around the world. God, reach people with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, take this. Uh, if you're taking notes, we, we believe God's given us a passion for God. Like we want to develop a passion for him. Now, what does that look like? Well, Psalm 42 says it this way. David is writing, and he said, My soul, he recognized it in himself, is dry and thirst for you. And he says, You are a true God. As a deer thirsts for the water, I long for the true God who lives. When can I stand before him and feel, experience his comfort? 
I know this. I believe we live in a world that, in a culture that is dying of thirst and searching for a true God. A true God. Except the problem is culture is looking for it in all the wrong places, right? In every other place except for where he is. Come on, the old country song, right? Looking for love in all the... Yeah, you know it. Sinners. Just kidding. I digress. Culture's looking everywhere you go. Every decision they make, every decision we make, it's us literally turning every rock, opening, looking in every cave, digging and looking for a true, real God. But we're missing the point, and that's, that's the reality. Why do we want to develop a passion for God? It's because I believe people have, people have dug so deep and looked so far that they feel they've gone too far away. I've been looking for so long and I haven't found him and I think I'll never find him. There's a story we talked about in John chapter four, this woman at the well. Jesus tells her, go find your husband. And she goes, sir, I'm not married. He goes, you're right, you've been married five times. You've messed it up five times and the guy you're with now, that's not your husband. And she goes, well, you must be a prophet, right? She, she like, you know, he starts to read her mail. Now, listen, culturally in that day, we would go, oh, five times. Man, that, that's something even here. But culturally in that day, a woman married five times would, would have literally been, um, there's not much lower that a woman could have gone in society of that day. She had messed it up as far as she could feasibly had messed it up other than dying in her life. She was a literal outcast, probably, through, probably had gone through years of physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse. She had made decision after decision that had pushed her so far that she thought, no way I can ever come back from this. She woke up one day, like many of us have, and said, how did I get here? I never dreamed when I was 12 years old that I would wake up and having been married five times. I never dreamed when I was a kid that I would wake up one day and realize and find myself in, you know, 10 years of addiction. I never dreamed that my career would have taken a turn this way. What happened? Well, there's a term in mathematics. I've shared it here before. It's, it's called combinatorial explosion. I brought a graph. I'll show it to you uh, <clears throat> to kind of help explain what this looks like. At the very bottom line, you see... Uh, the second line at the very bottom off the graph, is, it's called linear growth. And it's what most people experience most of our lives, just slow, steady growth. And, and then most people live their lives in, in a positive, if they're looking positively, most people live their lives in hopes to one day experience some kind of exponential growth. They get the, the, the bonus that they had hoped for their whole life, the, the home that they had hoped to get in their whole life, like that exponential growth. Their organization grew. A church grew exponentially in some way. But then there's this term called combinatorial explosion. And this is the term, this is how they communicate unexplained growth. It communicates the, uh, the expansion of a problem that continues in such a way that nobody, they, it just 
you blink your eyes and boom, all of a sudden it has exploded into a level that you can't explain. They began to understand this kind of explosion, this kind of growth when they began to write code for computers back in the day. And as they would write the code and things would kind of just get out of control, the mathematics, the numbers, the ones and the zeros would just kind of explode into this combinatorial explosion. And they began to explain this also in psychology. It's, it's the, the uh, explanation of how can I continue in the same way and yet like hoping things change and things all of a sudden explode out of control. It's best illustrated in a simple piece of paper. If you try to fold one single sheet of paper, most people know that you can only fold a sheet of paper seven times. Eight times if you have some kind of like super hydraulic press. Okay, you can fold it and crush it. And, and so that's the only way that you, you, you'll never fold a sheet of paper more than that. But let's think in our minds that we could fold a sheet of paper infinite amount of times. That it would just, that we could continue to fold and it wouldn't stop and we could just continue. And most people live their lives in terms of thinking that every decision that they make is actually stacking a sheet of paper. And so stacking a sheet of paper is about 500 uh, pages. A ream of paper, a regular ream of paper that you would buy is 500 sheet of papers. My Bible has 1,000 or so sheets of paper, and it's about this thick. And so when you ask people this question, how many folds of a sheet of paper would you think it would take to go from the thickness of here on earth, a regular sheet of paper, to the thickness, to the, uh, to the distance from earth to the moon? And most people, most of us would say, I did when I first began to uh, ask this question, I'd go, well, it'd have to take billions Billions of folds. I mean, paper, that's thin. Like, no way it could go much further than what it is, right? And so, actually, it takes 42 folds of a sheet of paper to get from the earth to the moon. That's combinatorial explosion. Things begin to multiply rapidly out of control. You go from one sheet of paper to two folds to six folds to eight folds to 13 to 17. And it gets odd and even and begins to explode out of control. Check this out. 81 folds. If you could, if you could fold a sheet of paper 81 times, it, goes, it gets us to 127,786 light years from earth. If you were to get it to 103 folds, it would get us outside of the like, observable universe. Now that you go, what? And so that explains in psychology how literally we go from making a decision today and waking up next week and going, how did I get here? You see, most of us are one text message away from ruining our marriage. You're, you're one website away from getting so far out of control you never dreamed you could get back. You're one decision away, and we think we're stacking the sheets. And we've stacked hundreds of sheets thinking, big, all kinds of decisions. And we don't realize we're folding the sheet and we're not stacking the sheet. And why are we passionate about God? Because God is the only one that can meet anybody 127,786 light years away. Only him. You're here today and you think, my life has spiraled out of control. If I'm honest, I have no clue how I'm ever going to get back to any kind of reality that I thought God could ever use me for anything in this life. His name is Jesus. Only him and only through him can God take our out of control lives. And by the way, it's not just you. It's all of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up this thing called life. And all of us get it can only be God who can rescue us from the life that we have decided and made for ourselves. So we're passionate about God. Number two, this one's huge. If you're taking notes, we want to develop a passion for people. 
We, we should develop a passion. Why should we develop a passion for people? Because God is passionate about people. Because of all of the things and all of the universes and all of the, the vast uh, universe out there, he thinks about us more than anything else. And so we're given instruction in Romans chapter 12. It says this, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Yes, hate what is wrong. But hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Everybody say honor. One, two, three. Honor one another. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Hey, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Listen to this. Be happy with those who are happy. Be weeping with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I love this good memory verse for you kids. And don't think you know it all. Right? Don't think you got it all together. None of us got it all together. He's given us a warning, a, a great illustration here. Like step after step after step. Don't think you're better than everybody else. Don't look at people the way that culture looks at people. Listen, love people. We're going to be passionate about people. We're a whosoever will church. That Like whosoever will, there's room at the table. We recognize that most people have lived their life thinking that they've been stacking the sheets, when in reality, we've all been folding the sheets. Most of us have lived thinking it's just a decision. It's just, hey, that's just, um, it's just one date. It's just a girlfriend. It's just a boyfriend. It's just a, it's just a career. It's just a decision. It's just one drink. It's just one thing. It's just one... And you're folding the sheet and things are out of control. And the reason we're going to be passionate about people is because the beautiful thing about Jesus is is he sees people not as they are now, but as he who he created them to be. May we never look at people when they walk through these doors. May we never look at people in the circumstances that we've made for ourselves. But may we always attempt to view people in the purpose and the plan that God has created for them. Come on, anybody in here glad that he didn't look at me the way he found me, right? Anybody else glad that he saw potential in me and called it out of me? I'm grateful that God didn't leave me like he found me, but he called purpose out of me. He called potential out of me. He saw me as what I could be and not as what I was. And let me tell you something, that is the beautiful thing about the local church. No other place on earth. You can can be viewed in your potential and God can call you out of the mess that we've made of our lives and do something far greater than we could dream or imagine with it. So we're going to be passionate about people. That's how Brandon Doss can stand in front of you and declare the gospel every single week. It's not because anything that I was good at. It's not because I was uh, affirmed in it. It's not because I was prepared for it. It's because God called it out of me. God saw potential. God saw what could be. God had a purpose and a plan in spite of me. I look across our church. It's how Eddie Lee, who's an usher here at our church, who was literally deemed the meanest man alive before he gave him Jesus. And now he lovingly cares for people every single week. That man's got a better track record on church than I do, right? Like he don't miss. He loves people every single week. It's how Brody can, can come from years of a 
addiction. And God can rescue his life. And he loves people every single week. And they serve and they help and they love. It's how Daniel Odom can go from years of addiction and lead a ministry and start new ministries and care for people. It's how a family like Mike and Wanda Nicholas who attend our Columbiana campus can go from far from God to literally some of the most generous people you'll ever meet in your life. It's not because we're good. We're not good. You're not good. Hey, you're not good. It's God. And he's passionate about people. And so we're going to be passionate about people. It's how Stephen Bush can die eight times. Man's like a cat. (laughs) Eight times declared legally dead. But God had a purpose for his life. And even in the mess he made of his life, God restored him, redeemed him, and is using him for his glory. And let me tell you something, church. If God could do anything through any of us, he can do it for you. If God's ever restored anybody from a mess they've made in your life, he can restore you from any mess that you've ever made of your life. It's how Geneva and Aaron Hughes, who attend our Columbiana campus, serve every week, loving God, having grown up in a spiritually abusive home. And if there was anybody who would have said, I don't want anything to do with church and I don't want anything to do with faith, it would have probably been her and they would have probably been them. But God met them where they were in spite of the people around them and saved them and rescued them and redeemed them. And they're living their life on purpose. Why? Because people looked at them and not their preferences. Hey, we're going to be a church that we're not passionate about our preferences. I'm not passionate about what kind of music we play. I'm not passionate about our dress code. I'm not passionate about all those things that seemingly we begin to get passionate about over the years. We're passionate about people. We're going to meet people where they are. We will refuse to see people in the here and now. We will always be passionate about calling out what God sees in people. Come on, I'm going to tell you something today. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. I want to encourage you today. It don't matter the mess you've made of your life. We've all made a mess. Just take a look. Go ahead and turn around and look at everybody here. You'll never find a person walk through these doors that's on try number one at this thing, that just got it right the first time. We've all needed Jesus. Come on, anybody thankful for second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 37th chances and some of us hundreds of chances? The grace of God is new every morning. And he'll meet you where you are. It's the goodness of God. Now, he ain't going to leave you where you are. He's going to call you out of the mess you made of your life. But aren't you grateful that he meets us where we are? We're going to be passionate about people. And the last thing I'll share with you is we're going to develop a passion for purpose. A passion for purpose. I love this, Proverbs 19 and 21, because it it reminds us of who we are. It's our humanity. Many are the plans in a person's heart. Come on, y'all made some plans. We made some plans, right? But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's his purpose that, that prevails. And it's how Stephen can die eight times, but God's got a purpose. God's got a plan. I love it how it's illustrated in Genesis chapter 50. There's a man named Joseph who had a dream when he was young, and he shared it with his brothers. And he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule the world. And they sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. Spent 30 years wandering through life, wondering if, This dream was ever going to come true. And I love what he said at the end. After God's purpose and plan had prevailed in his life, he told his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many 
people. Listen, I want you to know this today. If you are breathing, you have a purpose. You may be here to think, you may be here today and you think you've messed up too much. You've gone too far. You've, you've crossed the line. Can I tell you today, man, if God's ever done it for anybody else, he can do it for you. You've got a purpose for your life. And I want you to know you can't, there's no feasible way you could have messed up too much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He died on a cross, y'all. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He conquered sin in our lives. He's not going to leave you in your sin. He will rescue you from your sin, and he will call purpose out of your life. You go, but Brandon, man, it's been so long. This addiction has been so, it's ravaged my life. He is bringing you to a place that as a result of the life you've lived, you can save many people. Can I tell you today, there's no greater phrase than this one. You ready for it? We've said it before. Me too. You see, the enemy would love for all of us to believe that we're the only ones that have ever struggled with the thing that we're struggling with. That we're the only ones going through the stuff that we're going through. Nobody understands, and if they, there's no way they possibly could. But can I tell you, that is a lie. There are people walking through the same things, have walked through the same things, and you need to begin to understand and discover what that is. There's nothing better than being in a community with people that have understood what you're walking through, and you can walk it out together. I'm going to encourage you. You need to begin to discover and look for your purpose. We make it easy around here. There's a thing on our, on our uh, website called Roots. You can, matter of fact, I would encourage you, you can pull out your phone right now, you can download the Cultivate Church app, and you can literally scroll down, there's a button right there that says Roots, and you can begin to fill out a, a, a form that will help you discover your personality. It will help you make heads and tails of your purpose in your life. It's going to be a, a guide to help you discover, how do I begin to get out of this and step into that? God, Jesus, community, people, that's how you do it. I want to pray with you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, our band's going to come. They're going to play some music. Nothing funny or weird, I promise. It's a moment for you to spend with the Lord. We're going to pray together. Can I tell you this? There is so much life change hinging on what God has done or could do in your life. Don't you think for a second that your story doesn't have purpose. Don't you think for a second that your story doesn't have power. You go, but I don't even understand. I'm not even past my soul. I'm still in it. I'm still struggling. Well, come on, let's struggle together. Let's work it out together. Let's walk it out together. The grace of God is so much bigger than in your mind can figure it out. It's powerful and it's for you today. You would say in this room, you're here and you would go, yeah, but man, I don't even have a relationship with it. If I'm honest, man, I don't even have a, there's no way Jesus isn't Lord of my life. Come on, let's change that right now. Right where you are, you would simply say, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry. I've been doing this in my own strength, and my own ability. Things have gotten out of control. It's out of control. The depression's more than I can help. Anxiety's more than I can do. The sin is farther than I thought I would ever take it. God can rescue you from all of it. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, and I claim you as Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you came to earth, and you lived a perfect life, and you died on a cross, and you came back to life rescuing me from sin, conquering death, hell, and the grave. From this day forward, you're Lord of my life. And Father, I pray for my church, and I pray for all of us here that we would be passionate about you, 
God, that you would develop a, a great passion inside of us for the, for the true God who lives, for the people you've placed in our lives. May we see them through the lens of eternity. And God, may you call purpose out of every one of us in such a way that it makes a difference in our sphere of influence. God, you'll get all the honor, you'll get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, 1015, can you honor Jesus today? Come on, he's worthy.